So I never ran track. You see, I played a lot of sports where running was actually the punishment. And so the idea of running as the sport was not very appealing to me. Maybe you did run track. And, and, and though I didn't, there, there's always one race that I did find fascinating, the, the relay race. Right? And one aspect of the relay race that, that was always really, really neat is the passing of the baton. You know, we're in the second week of this series called Elijah and Elisha, Stories of Hope. And we're unpacking a few Old Testament stories from the ancient world that provide a relevant testament to the hope we have in a faithful and unchanging God. And today I get to dive in to a brilliant display of God's power as he graciously performs the miraculous in spite of the continual shortcomings of his people. And like a relay race, the baton has officially been passed between the great prophet Elijah, who was the famous predecessor and mentor and coach of, of the newfound successor Elisha. And at this point, see, they have been running the part of the relay race where they're crossing paths, this, this zone where the baton is being passed. So they've been doing ministry together for just a while. And, and just like a runner will begin to slow down and the next begin to catch up to speed, the baton is passing. That's what's happening in this moment. And now Elisha has his leg of the race to run. And you can actually read all about this transition and the handoff in 2 Kings chapter 2, but here's a sticky note version of it for you. Essentially, these similarly named men of God, they're walking along the Jordan River, and Elijah knows that his time is coming. And so he's told Elisha, I don't have a lot more time with you, my man. And so they're trying to spend as much time as they can together when all of a sudden, right there beside the river, like, like a chariot and horses of fire, whisk Elijah up to heaven in like this angelic, violent tornado. And Elisha is just standing there, like watching all of this go down. And then like everything kind of calms down and fades. And he's left there holding Elijah's cloak. And he's like looking around and, and Elisha is really, really fun dude. He actually has like this fiery attitude and this wit and sarcasm about him. You can, you can read and unpack all of that if you read more of 2 Kings. But, but Elisha, he, he takes the cloak and he walks over to the, to the river and he just smacks it with the cloak. And, and then all of a sudden the river like, like opens up like a pedestrian crosswalk and he walks across the Jordan River on dry ground and kind of begins his ministry. And all of these people, they kind of witness what's going on and they realize, they say like, oh my gosh, like the spirit of God is working in this guy just like he did Elijah. Well, shortly after this, as Elisha begins um, prophesying and he begins like running his leg of the ministry, we see that he's gonna be summoned to be involved with some of the very, uh, the very work that his predecessor was always finding himself in, like consulting kings and politicians and generals about military campaigns and conquests, that he would be a communicator, a conduit between God's people and God himself. And so we pick up our part of the story in 2 Kings 
chapter 3. I want to invite you to join me there. We'll have the words on the screen as well. And this is a little backstory to set us up. It says, Joram, son of Ahab, began his rule over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He was king for 12 years. In God's sight, he was a bad king, which could there be a worse credential than that? But, but he wasn't as bad as his father and mother. To his credit, he destroyed the obscene Baal stone that his father and mother had made. So I want to pause there, but it just kind of sets up. It says, okay, so th- this king, this king, um, like he's, a, he's really a, a bad king, but he's the king of Israel, and he's been ruling for a little while, and, um, and there's this guy named Jehoshaphat, and they kind of have this relationship. We'll unpack that more in a moment. And then it continues. It says, King Mesha of Moab raised sheep. And that may seem like an odd thing to point out, but it'll make sense as we connect dots. It says, he was forced to give the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and another 100,000 rams. When Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram set out from Samaria and prepared Israel for war. Okay, let, let me, let me kind of connect all of these dots for a moment. So Israel's king, Ahab, he, he kind of strikes this deal with king named Mesha. He says, listen, you can rule this region, you can rule this area, but you're going to have to pay this like annual tax of like a whole bunch of sheep and lamb and ram wool, okay? So you can do that. Well, what happens is Ahab dies and Mesha's like, the deal is off. Like I had this deal with Ahab, but now that he's gone, I am done with it. And so he's like, hey, no more for me. So he rebels. Well, Ahab's son, Joram, who is like the king of Israel now, um, he's like, no, 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 you're not just going to walk away like that. You're not going to rebel like that. And so he flexes his military muscles and says his first move, check this out, verse six, his first move, notice it wasn't to consult God like it wasn't to, to, to find a communicator, a prophet to God and console God. No, no, no. His first move was to send a message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Would you join me and fight him? Uh, okay, so, so Joram is confronted with this rebellion. And like his daddy before him, he calls on this guy, King Jehoshaphat. All right, the king of Judah. And as he calls on, he says, hey, listen, I've got this problem can you help me out here? And Jehoshaphat's response, get this. He says, I'm with you all the way. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. See, Jehoshaphat's like this ride or die kind of friend, right? Like, do you have a friend like that? Like, like maybe you do. I have a few like in my Rolodex that I could call up and I know that they'll have my back in a moment's notice. And I have one friend like this in high school as well. His name was John, but we called him JJ, and JJ was always up for something to go down. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he was like, hey, I'll take him. I'll take him. Where's he at? And I'm like, dude, it's fine. Like, we're just in the lunch line, this kind of thing, you know? And, and he was just always there. He's like, hey, man, you need anything. I got you. And, and so that's kind of what Jehoshaphat is for Israel. He's like, hey, where are we going? I'm in. You just say when. Well, after hearing like a bit more about this predicament, Jehoshaphat's like, hey, I actually have another connection who's like south of Moab, okay? And so what if we, what if we combine like all three of us and we attack 
from the south, like from the wilderness. We join forces and then we just knock this dude off the map. And so that's the plan. And then verse nine, it says, the king of Israel, the king of Judah and the king of Edom started out on what proved to be a looping detour. After seven days, they had run out of water for both army and animals. Verse 10, the king of Israel said, bad news. God has gotten, gotten us three kings out here to dump us into the hand of Moab. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, I mean think about this. Like, like these kings, they, they come together and they conspire this plan to attack Mesha, the king of Moab. And, and so, so they, they come together and this is their plan. They go out into the wilderness, they get lost, and then they blame God for it. Right, like, like this is kind of like when I wouldn't study for a test, I would turn it in and then I would pray for God to miraculously change the bubbles on my scantron, right? Like I got myself into this and now I'm just pleading with God to get me out. And that's what's going on here in verse 11. Jehoshaphat says, isn't there a prophet of God anywhere around through whom we can consult God? Like finally, Right, like they're in this predicament, they're in this mess, and so finally they say, like, hey, isn't there a prophet anywhere around who we can consult God through? Like, thank God for Jehoshaphat. Thank God for a man of God who eventually just says, like, hey, is there anyone around? Right, and you've seen this play out maybe at like a family gathering or a meal or a holiday or barbecue or, or family reunion where like it's almost time to pray and everybody starts looking around like, is there a pastor here? Or like at least somebody who teaches Sunday school or like, did anybody go to church on Christmas Eve who can at least, that, that kind of thing. That's what they're doing. They're like, is there anybody that we feel like would at least get us closer to God, which, which, which this is the way it used to work in the Old Testament. It's not the way it works now. You see, in the Old Testament, they, they had to go through a prophet to communicate between God and his people. But in the New Testament, Jesus came. Jesus came not just as a prophet, not just as a conduit, not just as, as bringing a word from God. Jesus came as the word of God. Jesus came as the Messiah and the Savior and the Son of God, becoming our high priest, breaking the barrier once and for all between us and God so that we wouldn't have to go through a prophet. We wouldn't have to go through a priest or a pastor. We now have direct access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. But prior to Jesus, that's how they had to communicate with God through a prophet. And so these combined armies, they get lost walking in the desert and, and they decide, hey, listen, we are, we are like at a last resort. Like we need to call on God. And say, so they say, hey, why don't we try consulting a prophet? Is anyone around? One of the servants of the king of Israel said, well, Elisha, Son of Shaphat is around somewhere. The one who was Elijah's right hand man. And so he says, hey, listen, Elisha is around here somewhere. Like he was Elijah's right hand man. This was like Elijah's water boy. So maybe some of like the fairy dust got sprinkled on him. Maybe we could kind of bring this, this guy in. And Jehoshaphat says, good, a man we can trust. Because he knows like there's power and in, in relationship and connection. Like if he's spent time with Elijah, then I want to spend time with him. So, so the three of them, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat and king of Edom, they went to meet him. 
And, and check this out. These three kings, they summon Elisha into their presence. And we find out, I mentioned that fiery attitude. We find out just how much that Elisha's not here for it. We read this verse 13. Elisha addressed the king of Israel. What do you and I have in common? Like go consult the puppet prophets of your father and mother. I mean, you talk about not being politically correct, right? Like he says, hey, go consult like all those people who would just like say what you wanted to hear, just like your, your mom and dad used to do. And, and the king said, never. It's God who's gotten us into this fix, dumping all three of us kings into the hand of Moab. Verse 14, Elisha, he's like, man, dude, whatever. And he, he goes on, check this out. He says, as God of the angel armies lives and before whom I stand ready to serve, if it weren't for the respect I have for Jehoshaphat, listen, <laughs> here's what Elisha's saying. He's saying, listen, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't give you the time of day. Like if it weren't for this one guy in your corner, like you've got this whole entourage, if it weren't for this one guy, man, I wouldn't even be here. And, and listen, if you are in Christ, then, then that means that you too have one guy in your corner, like connecting you to your father in heaven, vouching for you, advocating for you, endorsing you and your freedom on behalf of his righteousness. So if you are in Christ, you've got one guy. You've got one guy. His name is Jesus. And so with Elisha, he says, look, King, you used to be my enemy, but Jehoshaphat gives me reason to work in your life. And similarly, God says to you, if you're in Christ, look, son, look, daughter, you were once an enemy of mine, but Jesus gives me reason to work in your life. You see, because for a follower of Christ, when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, he sees his son. And, and, and when he looks, whatever mess you've gotten yourself into, like, like whatever brokenness you're experiencing, whatever sin is holding you captive, like by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, God can work in your life too. And so Elisha says, if it weren't for this one guy, I wouldn't even get involved. But considering, I love this. He says, bring me a minstrel. He says, bring me a minstrel. Like, like bring me a worship leader. And I just imagine like the look on these king's faces and, and they're like, what? Like we're lost in the wilderness. Like we're consulting you as a last resort and your response is fire up the band? Like, are, are you kidding me? And, and they're all there and they're like, hey, listen, we're looking for direction and you're looking for a DJ? Like, this doesn't make sense, but, but doesn't something happen through music? I mean, think about it. Like, like doesn't, doesn't music have this way of invoking emotion and, and speaking like, like words that language never really could? And music is just this, this beautiful gift from God. And so Elisha says, hey, I want you to bring me a minstrel. I want you to bring me a worship leader. And look, I, I, I want to try something. All right, it's not original. Obviously, Elisha did this first, but I saw a pastor do it several years ago and really drove home this point. But, but I want to try it and I want to bring out like our very own minstrel. Like I want to invite our worship leader, Micah, to kind of come and join me 
on the stage. And so, hey, man, I appreciate you joining me. And so here's what I want to do. Micah, if you would just play something beautiful. Yeah, just something real good, man. Just if you just start, man, just start playing something. Just, oh, that's it right there. And think about it. I mean, doesn't does music, it just immediately like changes the atmosphere. And so this is what happens. They bring this minstrel out and, and, and Elisha starts communicating like what God is saying and, and, and music. And doesn't it just have this way of, of like making things sound better? Right, like anything I say, like my preaching is better with like music playing behind me. And so these instrumental pads, they start up and you can kind of say anything. Like you can say anything with music and it just sounds good like, like this. Like I could say, man, Joella's. That is my favorite restaurant in all of Hamburg. And all of the 40509 Joella's, the lunch special with fries, Ella's fave, ranch dipping sauce, and a root beer to go, Joella's. You see what I'm saying? Like, like music just has this way of invoking emotion. And Elisha says, hey, bring the minstrel and play something real good because we're gonna change the atmosphere. We're gonna shift our focus. We're gonna reorient back to the Lord. He says, look, we're gonna stop talking about all of our problems and we're gonna start leaning in to God's promises. And then then this is what he says. He says, listen, God's word. This is what God says. Dig ditches all over this valley. Here's what will happen. You won't hear the wind. You won't see the rain, but this valley is going to fill up with water. And your army and your animals will drink their fill. This is easy for God to do. He will also hand over Moab to you. He says, you will ravage the country. You will knock out its fortifications, level the key villages, clear cut the orchards, clog the springs and litter the cultivated fields with stones. He says, look, they can run, but they can't hide. It's about to be go time. He says, not only will God provide the water, he will also deliver your enemies into your hands. But did you catch it? Like, like did you see, did you see what God said to do first? He said, dig ditches. He says, you dig ditches and then the unexplainable will happen. Like you won't see the clouds. You won't hear the thunder rolling in across the desert. You won't see the rain, but water is coming. You just need to dig ditches. You know, the King James Version says, make this valley full of ditches. This is full. Like all over it, not just in one spot, not just like around the valley, not just like like in rows, not just one each. No, make the valley full of ditches. But but ditches? Like, I, I mean, what was their problem? All right, let's go back to that. They, they were out of water, yet, yet notice Elisha's first instruction had nothing to do with water. It had everything to do with ditches, which probably made no sense, right? 
I mean, think about it, that they're in the desert. The ground is hard and dry. They're exhausted and thirsty. Wouldn't digging ditches seem counterproductive? But that's where God starts. And our temptation, though, is that we want to see the clouds first. We want to see the rain coming. We want to see God work before we lace up our work boots. We don't see the clouds and we don't see the rain. So we don't see the evidence of God's work. So we don't pick up a shovel. You you know, Rick Warren says, faith believes it before it sees it. And, And the Lord said, make this valley full of ditches. And so in the midst of the music, in the midst of the minstrel, in the midst of the emotion, they say, yes. They say, yes, we're going to make the valley full of ditches. Let's trust God. Let's get after it. Let's go. And then the music stops. And the minstrel leaves. And, And the huddle breaks. And then this is what it sounded like. Because this is what it sounds like when, when you say amen and, and you lift up your head and you realize that you're right back in the same circumstance you start. Like, this is what it sounds like when, when, when we dismiss here and you make your way out through the hallways into the parking lot, into your minivan, and you drive back into reality. This is what it sounds like when all the music fades and all the emotion wanes and And all of that wears off and you're left with this decision, will I dig a ditch? Because Elisha is saying, if you want to see the land filled with water, then dig some ditches. He says, you do everything that you can do and then trust God to do what only God can do. And I mean, isn't that what faith is though? Like it's leaning into the obscurity. It's not backing down from the vague, but standing firm on God's promises. It's digging ditches when the forecast says more of the same. Like when there's no logical reason to believe that water is coming, it's still taking a shovel in hand and sticking it into the ground. Again, faith leans into the hope of what's to come. And here's here's what we have to understand, that faith doesn't remove ambiguity. No, it chooses to hold on in spite of it. And, And what does Elijah say next? That this is an easy thing for God to do. This is easy in the eyes of the Lord. Think about that. An alliance of three armies with all of their might and all of their power and all of their assets are on the brink of death because they don't have access to the most basic yet, yet uh, like abundant resource that's life-sustaining on the planet. They don't have water. And no matter how hard they try, they can't make it rain. Only God can. And not only can he do it, but scripture says it's an easy thing for God to do. And so my question to you is this, what ditches do you need to dig? Like what next steps and practical preparation is God asking you to make for the bigger plans that he has for your life? Because while we can't make it rain, we can prepare for the water. We can trust God to fill the dry valleys we face with the life-giving hope found only in Jesus. So where can you take up a shovel and get to work? And, and, And just like digging a ditch, we start small. 
like one scoop of dirt at a time. But, but we have to hold on to this promise that if you will dig the ditches, then God will fill them up. But digging ditches is hard, right? Like we know that we should and maybe we can get caught up in the emotion. Like, man, I'm going to make these resolutions. I'm going to make these declarations. I'm going to do the next right thing, however long it takes. But, but then we realize it's work. Like, like digging a ditch can be hard. And as I was thinking over it this past week, I'm mulling over this. And I want to give you three reasons why I think digging a ditch can be hard. Number one is this, that digging a ditch can be hard because the soil is dry. I mean, think about it. The Israelites and their allies, they're in the middle of this desert. And the first obstacle that they come upon is the fact that the ground is dry, which makes digging hard. And, and that can be an obstacle in our lives too, right? Like, like we pick up our shovel, we're ready to go, but then we look down and we think, man, man my walk with Jesus just seems so desolate. Or, or we, we say, you know, my family... My family's so broken. Or man, my relationships, they've been scorched. Or man, my job is just so draining. And, and we think, man, if my circumstance was different, if I just had better soil, then I could dig. But, but when we shift our focus off of our problems and onto God's promises, we're reminded of what Paul wrote in Galatians to a group of people who felt just like this. He said, Galatians chapter six, verse nine says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so even when it's hard to get out of bed on Sunday morning, dig a ditch and go to church. Like even when it's hard to love your neighbor, dig a ditch and bake some cookies. Like even when it's hard to look at your spouse, dig a ditch and catch them doing something right and then celebrate them for it. Like even when it's hard to respect your boss, dig a ditch and ask how you can make her life easier this week. But because even though the soil may be dry where you're digging. God can bring the rain and breathe transformation to every area of your life. But it's not just dry soil that can make digging hard. Digging a ditch can be hard because they have a better shovel. Remember, these armies, they showed up for a war not to dig wells. And so inevitably, some might have been more prepared than others. And I imagine it could be easy for some of those guys to look around and think, man, if I just had what they had, then I could dig a better ditch. Like, like you, you ever felt like that? And usually comparison is marked by the words, well, if I just had, then I could, right? Well, well if I just had their job, then I would have more time and money to go on vacation or to live in that neighborhood or, or, or I'd have more time to read my Bible or to serve or to volunteer or if I had more money, then I would give. Or, or we say something like, well, if I had his charisma, like if I just had his confidence, then, then I'd surely get more dates, right? Which then I would get engaged and then I would get married and then, and then, and then, or we think, well, if I just had kids who would behave more like theirs, right? Then we wouldn't have so much yelling at our house. Like then, then all of these things would be better. And you think like, they're not even good parents. How are their kids so good? And you start, you start using, using this, your, your insecurity as ammunition against 
other people. But listen, you're called. You're called to start digging with what you have. Like you've been equipped with the tools you need to at least start. Like not to say that you don't need help or that you can't improve, but, but when we're so focused on comparing to what they have, we neglect what we have. And Paul in Galatians chapter six again, but verse four, he says, pay careful attention to your own work. I love this. For then, for then you will get the satisfaction that comes from not comparing yourselves to someone else. You will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And so dry soil, comparison. And now one last reason that I think digging a ditch can be hard. You see, digging a ditch can be hard because you don't feel like digging. Sometimes you just don't feel like digging. I mean, make this valley full of ditches. You you know, I wonder, I wonder though, like how long after the music stopped did the complaining start? Like, like, I wonder, like, who was the first soldier who started moaning and fussing about having to dig ditches, right? I mean, some, I'm sure, immediately started, like, complaining, I'm sure. But, but some, some probably set a goal of, like, hey, I'm going to get 10 ditches. And then once they hit that goal, they're like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I don't feel like doing it anymore. And, you know, some probably started off great, and they're like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to get it. But as the emotion and the excitement wane, like sometime through the night, they just decided, man, I'm, I don't feel like it. But some, some I'm sure among this group had decided, you know what, I, I'm going to lean in to God's promises. I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep digging ditches even when I feel like it, and especially when I don't, and they trusted And they didn't know how it would happen, but they trusted that if they would dig a ditch, then God would bring the water. And so even when you don't feel like it, dig a ditch. Like maybe you don't always feel like showing up to serve, but dig a ditch and maybe get some coffee and show up and serve anyways. Like maybe some, some weeks you don't feel like singing in worship and, and the mask can kind of help cover that up. Or maybe, maybe you're at home, you're tuning in, you're like, you know, I can just kind of watch this and you've gotten into this routine where like, I don't, it's kind of like, I don't want to sing. I don't feel like it. Listen, I want to encourage you to, to dig a ditch and praise anyways. Or maybe you don't always feel like giving generously. Like you don't always feel like giving your hard-earned money to the church and to propel the mission of this church. And, and, and listen, I get it because if 2020 taught you anything, maybe it, it taught you, hey, you need to care for yours and yours alone. Like you need to look out for number one, but, but I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to dig a ditch of generosity. And as Malachi chapter three says, to test God in your giving and see if he doesn't swing open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that every ditch you d- you've dug is overflowing. Like, see, 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 you can't outgive a God who's already given it all. Or, or maybe, maybe you don't always feel like reading your Bible. And so maybe that ditch starts by not calling it your Bible, but you call it God's word. And so maybe your next step is, is to dig a ditch of one verse a day that, that will grow to maybe one chapter a day. And listen, I promise you, if you dig that ditch, if you dig into God's word, he will take you on a journey of faith that you can only imagine. Because here's the beauty of digging ditches. 
You can't be digging a ditch while staying the same. You know, James chapter two puts it this way, that faith without works is dead, that God strengthens our spiritual muscles with every scoop of dirt in every area of our life. But like digging a ditch, it can often feel like work without the reward until God brings the water. So keep going, like keep digging. I saw a sign several years ago outside of a renovation site that said, pardon our progress. And like, I just need that shirt, right? I just need to wear that banner on my life that like, hey, pardon my progress as I strive to look more and live more and love more and lead more like Jesus. Like we're all a work in progress. So let's like, like, like back up all of the dump trucks and bring out the excavators into every area of our lives and just say, hey, let's start digging. Man, let's start like moving dirt and digging ditches, making preparations for what God wants to do in us and through us. And so friends, let me just say, listen, if you're, if you fall in any of these categories or anything around this, whether you're flipping chicken at Chick-fil-A or you're flipping between Paw Patrol and My Little Pony at home, or maybe you're flipping through the NASDAQ to secure your next investment, no matter what you do, let me ask again, what ditches do you need to dig? Like what next steps and practical preparation is God asking you to make for the bigger plan he has for your life because if he can fill a barren valley in the desert with water, imagine what he can do in your life. And what's neat, what's neat is that we're already hearing those stories right here in our church. You know, last week, Monty kicked off this series and we've heard example after example of, of how God brought hope into real people's lives. And, and the testimony of these real people with real stories who lived a really long time ago, how, how, how the same truth of this faithful God is, is encouraging people. And we're hearing these stories of just God's faithfulness and hanging on to hope even when it's hard. And I wanna, wanna encourage you with, with the same message that we mentioned last week and we'll, we'll continue next week that while you can't completely avoid trials in this life, Man, you can trust God to guide you through them. Because for those in Christ, get this, every story is a story of hope. If you know Jesus, then your story is a story of hope because hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And the ultimate ditch, like, like check this out, the ultimate ditch was actually no ditch at all. Though, though it was surrounded by similar, it was surrounded by graves, the ultimate ditch was a borrowed tomb. The ultimate ditch was a borrowed tomb. And, and just like in 2 Kings, soldiers were there as well. But not with shovels this time. They, they were there with swords guarding a dead body, but not just anybody. They were guarding the body of a king. And not just any king. This wasn't a king who would wander deserts hoping to conquer enemies. No, this was a king who would breathe life into dry bones and conquer sin and death once and for all. A king who would not be arrested to the ground, but who would walk out of that very tomb alive and well and working. When we see it, and especially when we don't. And you see before the Israelites... And their allies ever saw a drop of rain that dug a lot of ditches. But God provided the water. 
God provided the victory. God provided the solution to their problems, and he still does today. And so, so again, what ditch do you need to dig? Because remember, you've, you've got one guy. You've got one guy in your corner say, hey, listen, I, I, I vouch. I vouch for this one. So Father, let's do the miraculous. And let's pray. God, I pray that you reveal the places in our lives you want to reconcile or revive or resurrect. And then God, give us the strength and courage and perseverance to pick up our shovels and do what you would have us do. Father, that, that we would start small, one step at a time, one scoop at a time, preparing for what you have in store for us. God, whatever that may be. And Father, even when our circumstances are hard, help us dig. God, even when others seem to have it better, help us dig. Even, even when we don't feel like it, God, help us dig. Because we trust you, God, to bring the water, to bring life. Even when we don't see that you're working, God, we trust that your plans are unfolding. And so until we see the clouds and rain, God, continue filling us with hope and guide us with your spirit. Father, all this in Christ's name, amen. So church, what a great reminder to remain faithful to the Lord. Um, we hope that you were encouraged today. And if you were, would you let us know either on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email at notestomani at ncclex.org. We love hearing how the Lord is impacting your life um, and how he uses Northeast to do that. So if you do have some encouragement, we'd love to hear it and share your story. So lastly, church, um, we are going to worship through giving. And um, you can give through the Church Center app. You can give through the mail, writing out a check. Or you can um, give through our website. So we just want to say thank you. And know that um, you investing in this church does have a kingdom impact. That is all that we have for today, and we hope to see you next week.